Welcome to the Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. A very warm welcome to Ryan Rodriguez. Bless you, mate. Go for it. So much uh, for that lovely welcome. It's so wonderful to be with you. And um, let me just add my welcome as well to ours. Um, as Al said, Laurie and I and my fiance, we've we're part of this community for the last couple of weeks. And everyone's been so warm and welcoming. If we haven't had a chance to get to know one another, I'd love to get to know your story. I really feel blessed um, to be part of it. In fact, would you just humor me as we start today? Would you just turn to the person next to you and just say really loud in their face, just say, neighbor. You can do this, say neighbor. Say, you are so blessed to be sitting next to me. <laughs> Go ahead, turn to the other neighbor, turn to the other neighbor and say, other neighbor. You are my second choice, but you're blessed too. You're blessed too. You're blessed too. Amen. Hey, we are gonna, love that. Um, I'm from Tooting in South London originally, come on south of the river, but I'm nice, I promise. I'm loving life in East London. And my fiance Laurie is from Germany, my dad's from India, my mom is from Sri Lanka, my stepdad is from Ireland. Family gatherings are feeling a little bit like a meeting of the United Nations at the minute. I'm loving that. Um, but I'm still based over in West London. We're, Laurie and I are looking to move east once we get married, but for now, I've decided to commute across the city. And I'll be honest, I'm enjoying not having people's faces up against my nose on the overground in the mornings, that's wonderful, getting to cycle across the city. And I'm getting to see London, the city that I've called home all my life, in a brand new way. In fact, this was, this was my journey in last week. I think we got a photo looking over the city before the city had even woken up. And it's amazing getting to cycle through our city before anyone's even out on the pavement. I get to see, I get to cycle past our parliament. I get to see where our leaders make decisions. And I can't help but thinking as I cycle every morning, gosh, there's so much going on. There's so much going on in those buildings that I pass. Someone should really do something to help with all the chaos that we've seen in our world. And I cycle on a little bit further along the river, and I see the people sleeping rough the night before in their sleeping bags. And I think, gosh, someone should really do something to help what they must be going through. And I keep cycling along. I see the city workers in their suits hustling and grinding away. I think, gosh, imagine what's going on in that part of our city. I cycle a little bit closer, get to East London, see the families with their children on their way to school, worried about the new term, making friends, all that goes on. I think, gosh, someone should do something to help them. And then I cycle up Mare Street and come to this beautiful community that I'm going to call home. And in my first week on team here at Saint, I got introduced to a couple about to get married. And in the same week, I got introduced to a family who just lost their son in their 20s. Both beauty and pain coexisting in this wonderful city that we call home. And I wonder today for you, what you might be bringing through those doors, what beauty and joy and hope in your life, but maybe there are moments of pain, questions about life, things that keep you up at night. I came across an article written in The Spectator this month that said this, to a lot of the public, it seems as if the country is falling apart. A recent poll showed that 58% of the population agreed with the statement, Britain is broken. I'm just here to bring the good news this morning. <laughs> so we're going to look at a story in Mark's gospel about what Jesus had to say, has to say to us today in 2023 about all that's going on in our world. So if you've got a Bible with you, would you open it with me to Mark chapter 2? 
Al mentioned he started um, our vision series a few weeks ago. And week one, if you were here or you've caught up on YouTube, you know Al read from Mark chapter one. Mark is the early, one of the earliest accounts of the life of Jesus. Most scholars believe it's written based on the eyewitness testimony of Peter, Jesus' disciple. We get a close-up look at what Jesus' life and ministry was like. And we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter two, just after where we left off. And you remember in Mark chapter one, um, the writer Mark announces Jesus on the scene. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus announces God's rescue operation for his world. And so we're going to deep dive into this story. We might pause every so often just to take a deeper look to what's being said. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And that's interesting. Jesus, as you all know, um, is from Nazareth, but he's moved now to Capernaum. This is now his home base. We don't know. Maybe Jesus found a nice Airbnb where he was staying in Capernaum. Actually, the scholars believe that he was staying in Peter's house. When it says Jesus had come home, he was residing with Peter who he had called in Mark chapter 1 to be one of his first disciples. And Jesus is healing people. He's teaching about the good news. Jesus has gone viral in Capernaum. And people are checking their iPhones, finding, find my friends. Jesus is at home. And they turn up at Jesus' house. And we continue in verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers to hear Jesus preach. There was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, verse 3, bring to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, we've heard Jesus was preaching at his home base. And there's standing room only. The balcony's full. Everyone's watching in online. They can't even fill. They fill the house where Jesus is preaching. And they're filling the streets. This Capernaum was a busy market town. The sea was nearby. Loads of traders, loads of noise, loads of energy. It must have been a little bit like Hackney on a Saturday morning. There's loads of energy. And we read that there were four friends. We don't actually get told their names in this story, whether it's Alvin, Simon, Theodore, we don't know. Um, I'm just going to call them the Fantastic Four. I love these four. You'll see why as we continue the story. And the Fantastic Four, they bring a friend with them. We don't get told his name, but we get told his condition, that he was paralyzed. And they bring this paralyzed friend to Jesus. But there's a problem. There's a large crowd in the way. What would you do? If it was me, to be honest, I'd probably call it a day. I've had a lovely day out. Glad to have left the house. We'll try again next Sunday, Jesus. You know, but have you ever been so desperate for something that you just don't take no? for an answer. You know, we all have that one friend. No, I'm seeing the manager. That's the fantastic four. They demand to see the manager. So look with me again, verse four. What do the fantastic four do? Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. What do the fantastic four do? They rip a hole open in the roof. Now, to understand this a little bit more fully, we're going to have to take a brief architectural interlude to understand the anatomy of a first century house in this region. Because Peter was a fisherman. He probably wasn't that wealthy. 
his house probably would have been just a single room with a flat roof. And to access the roof, there was a staircase round the side. And the roof itself would have been put together of wooden beams and mud and soil compacted, and maybe, if you were lucky, some tiles on the top to keep the rain out. As a, the Fantastic Four, they climb up to this roof. They cut through, they remove the tiles, they remove the mud and the soil, they break through the wooden beams, and they lower their friend down on his mat to the feet of Jesus. It would probably would have caused chaos for those underneath. Can you imagine all the mud and soil flying through? If I was Peter and I owned this house, I probably wouldn't have been very happy at this point in the story. Jesus, they're vandalizing my property. Can I get a refund on this? What's going on? They break through the roof. They tear through the roof. And they lower their friend to Jesus. And I'll tell you why I've always found this remarkable. And I found it even more remarkable this week. Because having seen the crowd, this, these four lower Jesus, there was a crowd there listening to the same Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God. I can imagine them. You know, maybe they sang the same songs. I love singing songs. Maybe they'd listen to all the right podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. But the crowd's heart hadn't yet been transformed by the message of the good news that Jesus was preaching. The crowd was actually the barrier to this man getting to know Jesus. Compared to the Fantastic Four, they see the man's needs. His needs would have been obvious. He was on a mat, paralyzed. But instead of having a hardened heart like the crowd did, these four break the roof off to get this man to Jesus in real time. You know, this man's paralysis was physical. But for many people today, our paralysis lies be below the surface. People in London today are spiritually paralyzed. Maybe it was paralyzed in addiction, paralyzed in depression, paralyzed in a culture that constantly has us performing for our sense of identity, for our affirmation, to hustle, to climb the ladder. And it's tiring. And maybe you're here today feeling like you're wanting something more for your life. I didn't always grow up believing in God. I kind of thought the belief in God was outdated, irrelevant, really had nothing to do with most of my life until I came to university. I actually got all five rejections when I applied through UCAS. I was hoping one of them would swipe right or however it works on UCAS. I don't really know. But I eventually, after taking a year out, mainly spent on my sofa watching This Morning and Loose Women, they got me through that gap here. I eventually reapplied and I got in, um, much to my surprise, to study English literature at the University of Cambridge. And I was, I was so excited. I would have thought this would have been the best that life had to offer. I was so excited to be at university, meeting new friends, having new experiences. And I lived that kind of classic university party lifestyle. But I found that that way of life just wasn't satisfying at all. I began to ask deep questions about, is there meaning to life? Maybe you're here and you've asked those questions too. And it wasn't until some friends of mine that I'd met in halls that year at uni brought me to Jesus, just like the Fantastic Four did to this man. And I went to a talk, a bit like week two of Alpha, the historical evidence for the person of Jesus. 
And I just became fascinated by that claim, that Jesus lived and died, but that he died and lived. And I just wanted to know, did this really happen? And I began to study the evidence for the risen Jesus. And I came to the conclusion that it was true, that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And everything changed in my life. Faced with the pain of this world, the suffering, the questions, what is our response? Are we more like the crowd or are we more like the fantastic four? You know, maybe you know someone in your workplace, in your school, in your university, in your street, in your community, in your family, a friend, a loved one. You know they need hope and love. I wonder who I would be more like, the crowd or these friends. Would I have a cold heart or a heart softened by the needs of our world? Would I put up barriers or break through the roof so that people could get to know the hope that Jesus offers. I may not have all the answers, but let me take you to one who does. You know, if you've been at Saint for a while, you'll know we're expecting for a mighty move of God in and through this generation, an outpouring, a renewal, a revival for God's kingdom to come on earth in Hackney as it is in heaven. How is God going to bring that about in our generation? The pastor Charles Stanley says this, God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. One person telling another about the Savior. God wants to use each and every one of us to be his hands and his feet, his agents of hope in a world that can sometimes feel hopeless. You know, I wonder, who might you be able to bring to Jesus this term? Who could you invite to Alpha? You never know the power of one invitation. You know, the stories that we heard today, people's lives transformed. I'm so grateful to those friends of mine who invited me to the feet of Jesus. Would we be a people faced with the needs of this world who would tear the roof off so people can encounter the hope of the risen Jesus? But then the story continues in verse 5. We read this. When Jesus saw their faith, not necessarily the man's faith, their faith, the faith of the friends. Did you know your faith for this generation can have eternal significance? He saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the friends, they tear the roof down. They lower this man to Jesus Jesus sees him, the same miracle worker who's already healed the leper in Mark 1, who healed Peter's mother-in-law, the same Jesus who's been preaching about the kingdom of God, and he sees this man in his need. His need is obvious to everyone in the room, but Jesus does something that I find surprising. Jesus says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. That's a bit random, Jesus. A little bit awkward. I think you've got the wrong order number, Jesus. This man came to be healed did I miss something? And if you're a bit like me, a bit confused, don't worry. So were the religious leaders. Only God can forgive sins. This man, this preacher from Nazareth is blaspheming. And to be fair to them, they're not wrong. Only God can forgive sins. In fact, the Jewish people had a whole sacrificial system to deal with our sin. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, 
why are you thinking these things? You know, each week on Alpha, we get to ask our questions. It might be questions like, how do we pray? How do we read the Bible? What about healing? How does God guide us? But in my experience, most people tend to ask their questions out loud. But these authorities didn't even ask their questions, and Jesus knew already what was in their heart. If you're here with questions today about who Jesus is, God is kind, and he loves you. He already knows the questions in our hearts. He says, verse 9, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. You know, words in this story like sin can be a bit difficult for us to know what to do with. Either it's a word that we see in our culture used really flippantly, like, you know, chocolate is so good, it's sinful. Or for many of us, it's a word that seems a bit outdated, loaded with a lot of emotional weight. It can be triggering for a lot of people. It's a word, sadly, that's been used and abused and misused over time. And actually, for many of us here today, it's developed a meaning all of its own, far away from what Jesus had in mind. Jesus' use of this word is a profound diagnosis of the human condition. The Greek word in this story is hermatia, from the Hebrew word kata. And its meaning isn't religious at all. It actually just means to miss the target. It's an archery image. To miss the target. It's far more than just doing bad things or not doing good things. The early church father, St. Augustine, he defines sin as a posture of the human heart, as, as he says, human beings curved inwards. I think that's a far more accurate portrayal of the human condition. And actually in 2023, it strikes me that we're really aware of other people's cutter, other people's sin. We might cancel them for it. You know, we even see throughout the, the even this week, the headlines of people's sin up in the press. Racism, sexism, the list goes on. And actually, I think there's something quite godlike about calling out what was in the darkness and bringing it into light. But the question that we're faced with is, what about the cutter within us? What about our own temptations to turn our heart inwards? Whatever worldview you might subscribe to, what do you do with the problem of cutter? And that's the real question that Jesus wants to deal with when he meets this man. The world is constantly trying to diagnose a problem that ultimately only God can solve. And in 2023, we're constantly being fed so many competing ideologies and worldviews and manifestos, often getting more and more extreme in their outlook. But all they can offer at best is plasters over the wounds. When Jesus meets this man, he wants to deal with the disease, not just the symptom. Jesus cares about our entire self. When Jesus meets this man, he recognizes that his issue is more than just about his issue. In that culture, to have been paralyzed would have meant that this man would have been rejected from society. In an honor-shame culture, he would have been ostracized, almost eliminated from community. He would have been in a position of shame. Maybe that's why the crowd don't pay any attention to him. When Jesus sees this man by healing his need, Jesus gives him a brand new identity, takes away that identity of shame, of rejection. Jesus says, son, 
your sins are forgiven. Jesus shows this man the love of a heavenly father. Jesus gives him a brand new identity. He fights against the injustice this man would have been experiencing. Jesus is a God of justice in the face of injustice. Jesus gives us an identity. You know, in 2023, the world constantly has us performing and hustling for our identity. Either we feel like we have to hustle and work upwards to base our identity on things that easily get taken away. Our relationship status, our CV, how much money we might have. But what happens when those things go? Or maybe your identity has been based on negative things that people have said about you, comments in the WhatsApp group. The identity that's found in Jesus is the only identity that is received and not achieved. Jesus gives this man a new identity. Son, your sins are forgiven. Healing this man is an act of resistance against the status quo, against oppression. Only in Jesus can we find an identity that is received and not achieved. Only in Jesus can we find a meaning in life that suffering or circumstances can't take away. Only in Jesus can we find a way to deal with our own guilt and shame and a way to forgive others. Only in Jesus can we find a way to face not only the future, but even death itself with peace and confidence. In the early 1600s, the Greek painter and architect of the Spanish Renaissance, El Greco, painted a picture of St. John, the namesake of this church, St. John's Revelation, um, in the book of Revelation. And it's a picture, a beautiful picture of St. John with his hands stretched upwards to heaven and God seated on the throne and the angels around him laying down their crowns. It's a beautiful picture. But in the 1800s, a team decided to improve the painting. And in the process, they accidentally cut off about six feet from the top of this painting, basically cutting this painting in half by accident. And so now we have this painting in the somewhat bizarre scene of John with his hands stretched upwards and everyone receiving their crowns and placing them down, but with the whole top of the frame cut out, begging the question, what is John pointing to? And as I thought about that picture, it reminded me a little bit about how I think we feel sometimes about the world. Isn't that modern life? In an effort to improve our world, we've cut off the top of the frame. We've taken the most important bit out, leaving us with questions. Is there more to life than this? What were we made for? What's beyond the frame? The author, most famous for writing the Chronicles of Narnia books, C.S. Lewis, says this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Jesus offers this man both comfort and challenge. You know, sometimes we might find a picture of Jesus where he only offers us comfort, but it's as if he only has good things to say about the choices we make. He's more inspirational life coach than Lord and Savior. Or we find a picture of Jesus that's all about challenge. He's a killjoy, out to spoil our fun, but nothing of the comfort that Jesus offers you and I. Jesus, in this story, offers both comfort and challenge. He heals the man's need and says, son, your sins are forgiven. The real Jesus, not just the picture 
that the world might paint, the caricature of Jesus is so much better. It's the real Jesus this man encounters. It's the real Jesus you can meet today. It's the real Jesus that transforms people's lives on Alpha. It's that Jesus this world needs. Who can forgive sins but God alone, he says. You know, Jesus' healing of this man is the gospel story in micro. It's a foretaste of the fullness of the resurrection power that Jesus gives to us today. Jesus who lived the life that we couldn't lead, healing the sick, those on the outskirts, bringing them in. Jesus who died on a cross, taking all of our pain, all of the suffering we could ever experience, all questions, all doubts, all sin, all shame, all guilt on himself on the cross. The Jesus who rose again three days later, overcoming even the worst that the world could, could throw at us, even death itself. That Jesus who ascended into heaven, and that Jesus who's with us now by the power of his spirit. And we have the opportunity to meet that Jesus today, to invite our world, our community to meet this risen king. Imagine what that would mean for Hackney. Imagine what that would mean for your communities, for your family, for your workplaces. The hope that found in Jesus. The crowds were amazed, Mark says. They praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Hackney's never seen anything like this. Jesus says to the man, take your mat. Sounds like a weird invitation. He didn't need the mat anymore. Maybe this man had a family. Maybe as he returned through the crowd, they would have seen him walking, the man they knew to be paralyzed, holding his mat. Maybe as he came home that afternoon for tea, his family would have said, we've never seen anything like this before. He's holding his mat. It's his story. It's what Jesus has done. Maybe you have a mat today. Maybe you have a Jesus story. Who could you invite to know that hope afresh? Would we be like the Fantastic Four who tear a hole in the roof so this man can encounter Jesus, and his life is transformed. I wonder who might, who might we invite this term? Or maybe you're here today desperate to know that hope for yourself. Maybe you're more like this man. Jesus is here. He wants to meet with you. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He wants to give you his hope and his peace and his joy so that we could share in his ministry, the good news of the kingdom of God is at hand for Hackney, for this city, for this nation, and for this world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, would you like to stand with me? And we're going to spend some time now in prayer. Just like Priscilla said, he's your heavenly father. It's just a conversation with God. And maybe you might find it helpful to, to close your eyes, just to blot out any distractions. You might just want to hold out your hands in front of you. There's nothing special about it. It's just a posture of saying, God, I'm open to receiving from you today. It's just the opposite of, of this. It's just a posture that says, I'm open. Come, Holy Spirit. Just going to wait in the stillness. Calm, Holy Spirit. Maybe this is uh, unfamiliar to you or even uncomfortable 
for you. Just in the stillness of your heart, just God, ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? Is this hope for me today? Come, Holy Spirit. Like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.